Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, Justin, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, man, no, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, excited about to hear a little bit more about your story and your journey. It's I always find it very fascinating for people that have a W-2 job and uniquely yours, the timing of everything that you've went through. And I would just love for you to kind of share your story. And before that, just you know, let everybody know who you are and what's going on. Yeah, I'm Justin Dixon. I live here in Austin, Texas. I've been in Austin for about a little over two years, but grew up in a small part, rural part of Pennsylvania, about an hour above Harrisburg, which is right in the middle of the state. And I grew up in a very kind of middle-class family. My investing advice and kind of business advice was get a good job, work there for 30 years, get invest in your 401k and hope you have enough to retire at the end of that. So that's kind of where I started right out of college. I got a, a job in the recruiting world. That's been my life over the last 16 years has been in recruiting in one former facet. And I started a recruiting business a few years ago, which we'll talk about. But yeah, it's been an interesting journey. And I moved to Philadelphia shortly after college and did recruiting and then quickly realized like, okay, I need to figure out this whole real estate space. And it's been an interesting ride. I started out with reading Rich Dad Poor Dad in mid-2018. That was kind of the light bulb moment that really showed me and told me that I need to think about what I'm doing with my time and my money and everything a little bit differently than just kind of working a W-2 job. So you really don't think about how important that book has been. But even for me, I read that book in 2003 or four. And so here you are reading it in 2018, and it still has the effect today as it did even back when I started. So like truly powerful. It was literally a light bulb moment. I really had no exposure to real estate investing other than my wife and I bought a condo a few years prior. And then I stumbled upon that book and I was listening to it on my walks to work in the morning. And literally one day I got home and was a little nervous because my mindset had already shifted, right? I was like, okay, I need to figure out how I can stop kind of investing in the 401ks of the world and think about real estate. And we weren't independently wealthy. We had both were W-2 workers, but I was like nervous because I was like, I was hoping my wife would see the light bulb moment as well. And luckily she did very quickly. I remember getting home from work one day and being like, what the heck are we doing? What are we doing with our time and our money and all that fun stuff? Well, because it forces you to radically change like you're thinking it. That book, when you read it, if you have any wires that are not all the way connected to your job, right? If you're disconnected, it's going to reconnect and you start getting a different power supply and you really start thinking, whoa, wait a second. Everything that I'm doing, I'm not sure that it's right now. And it just introduces the concept. Well, it's also against the grain too. It's against the norm. So that's one thing we realized very quickly when we started talking together about real estate and we were consuming a lot of podcasts and books and things on real estate, Bigger Pockets was like my saved search and my Google Chrome and all that stuff. So it was just like constantly listening and reading stuff. I wanted to talk about it a lot to my friends, but my friends, they were what I was literally a week, month, a year prior. And they were not woke yet. They weren't awake. They were still sleeping. Yeah, exactly. Zombie mode. We were like, we need some additional friends that we could speak about real estate with. And luckily we found some people that we knew that had done some stuff. And Our first real estate investment was a a duplex. I didn't want to go down the whole single family route. I felt that it was very 
much more risky. I'm a risk averse person by nature. Didn't like having one unit, one tenant. And then if they left, I'd have to pay the mortgage. But I also didn't have the mindset to go bigger into 30, 40, 50, 100 units. So I was like, let me go two to four. We bought a duplex. Ended up buying it in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, even though we were living in Philadelphia at the time. I just stumbled upon an article of the best real estate markets to invest in. And Texas, Florida, Georgia were all on that list. But then Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania was for some reason. And my mom grew up in Pittsburgh. I spent a lot of time there when I was a kid. So I was like, ah, I know Pittsburgh and it's still in state. Yeah. So I called a real estate agent and I literally said, hey, I'm a new investor. I've never done this before. I live in Philadelphia. I've got a little bit of money and I need a real estate investing friendly realtor. And he's like, cool, I'm pulling up one of my flips right now. Happy to help. And so over the course of like two or three months, he would go in and videotape himself walking through these houses. And then we bought one sight unseen. First time I saw it was during the inspection a few months later. And we still have that property. It's been doing really well for us so far. We realized really quickly after spending about six months chasing the shiny object, everybody on bigger pockets is successful in one form or facet of real estate, whether it's fix and flip, single family, burr method, house hacking, et cetera, et cetera. So we literally were like, oh, we'd listen to a podcast and we'd like, let's go try calling and sending mailers to mobile home park people. And then, oh, let's try this. And so we spent about six months kind of testing what we didn't like to do. But I kept coming back to the syndication thing. I kept coming back to like the cool factor of owning or being an owner of 100, 200, 300 unit apartment complex. So I realized kind of late 2019 that... It takes a team and a village to take down one of these big assets, right? It's yeah, not sure does. you or me or one person just kind of doing it. Whether you need people on your team or you've got to partner with other people, vendors, accountants, lawyers, et cetera. And that's when I realized I need to find a like tribe of people, cohesive group, a coach, a mentor to really engross me in this. Because I started underwriting these deals and I was like, what the heck do I do with it if I find one? Right. What's the next step, right? <laughs> yeah. If the numbers work, I don't have the cash to go take down a $10 million property or whatever the case is. So Pony up to $100,000, $200,000 in earnest money. Let's go, right? That's right. So we started doing the multifamily thing and started getting into it. But the whole goal of my W-2 life and kind of after we read Rich Dad Poor Dad was I always had this entrepreneurial bug. I had started a business on the side a few years earlier to do some side consulting. And then the goal was in 20. 20 to quit my W-2 and go full bore into recruiting, have that business kind of fund our real estate investing and really have the time to invest in real estate. So throughout 2019, we downgraded our lifestyle. We owned a condo and lived in a condo downtown. We ended up moving to the suburbs. We moved into a two-bedroom apartment, not the nicest thing in the world. Our goal was to shrink our expenses as much as we possibly could so that all of our expenses, all of our life was funded by my wife's job. And we did that. And we also had the necessary six to eight months of nest egg in an emergency fund if shit really hit the fan. We had that flexibility. That's a big deal though, because you knew what you wanted to do. You're like, but let's get lean and mean. And so we can have the one income so I can be the risk. I can be out there going and be the hunter gatherer for the big idea project, right? Like legacy stuff. Yeah. And credit to my wife for trusting me to do that and believing in me and us having the kind of in lockstep mentality for this whole thing to be successful. And so that's what we did. 2019, at the end of it, we kind of were like, okay, this is what we're going to do. All the my ducks in a row and coming after the new year, January, kind of, I think it was 10th or something, walked into my boss's office and quit. And then half a month later, COVID hit, right? Oh, wow. So 
Unbeknownst to me, COVID was going to completely destroy the recruiting business that I had started and was doing well at for the first month or so. I ended up making about half that year what I made the previous year as a W-2 employee, which was a big gut punch. And that was a very, could have been a much more difficult time in our lives because luckily my wife kept her job. So we had income coming in, but my dream of being this entrepreneur and having a business and doing all this fun stuff was shot in the dark. Starts to get put on the uh, side of just a little bit, right? You're like, wait a second, hold on. Yeah. My whole worst case scenario was, okay, maybe I don't like being an entrepreneur. Maybe I'm not as good as I think I'm going to be. It's not as fun as I want it to be. So I'll just go back and get another W-2 recruiting job. Like that's easy. Well, no, it isn't because there's nobody's hiring in 2020. There was no jobs out there yet. No one ever was like, let's just keep what we got and try to survive. That's exactly right. So luckily, like I said, my wife and I were in lockstep on the whole thing. We knew this was a long-term play. And flash forward to today, one of the good things about 2020 and not having a very busy recruiting business is I spent all of that year learning the multifamily space. I think I underwrote myself 200 deals, submitted a bunch of offers, didn't get anything, but it it taught me the underwriting skill. And I was able to build that muscle over that year. So that now when I'm sent a deal from one of the people that I'm in the group with, we all use the same analyzing tool, the same Excel doc. And so I can quickly analyze or look at their analyzer and say, I think you're a little too aggressive, or I think you pulled this lever to be aggressive or that. And so I can quickly underwrite their deal to say, yeah, I think you're too aggressive. I'm not interested in partnering with you on this deal. Or I can quickly say, yes, I am, because I think there's cushion or something like that. So that was kind of a silver lining that whole year is that I was able to really build that analyzing muscle. And I'm not a Excel guru or a financial guru myself, but If you do something 200 times, you get pretty good at it. But you got to do the work. Then that's the thing. Most people are not willing to learn that. Like once you actually get really become a master of that underwriting process, then you can teach it and offline it to a VA to get it 90% there on new deals, right? By you doing the work in the beginning, that's where you really understand the crevices of the software of like what levers do what. Because we have our own software and we do it with our tribe. We all kind of underwrite from the same software, right? And it makes it so much easier to deal partner amongst each other when you're in a group think tank, because everybody's kind of playing from the same playbook. Yeah. So it's very easy for us to say, even though I was looking at a deal the other day and outside Atlanta, and it's like, I don't know the Atlanta market that well, but I think your rent increases are a little aggressive and you've already kind of pulled this lever so that everything has to go right for that to actually happen. Right. And I think we've all seen in the last you bought a deal two years ago, you never anticipated what's happening now with interest rates and all that fun stuff. So there's a lot of people that are holding on to deals right now or sitting on deals right now that be underwater in or they're having that oh crap moment, which is unfortunate. So mm-hmm. so that's a little bit about my journey and kind of where we've been. We're wrapping up our fifth deal that we GPN. We're actually working on a deal in Scottsdale. I know that's out where, near where you are. So We've done as well as we wanted to be at this point and things are looking bright. So glad I made that jump and all that. Yeah, let's talk about the anatomy of kind of your first bigger deal, right? Because I always think that's always the whole, I left my job, people that have a hard time getting over that. But then let's just talk about your very first bigger deal. Did you find it or was it brought to your group or how did that come to you? Yeah, all the deals that I'm a GP in, I've been a co-GP where somebody else found it. I've just been in the capital raising investor relations piece of it. So I have not been on the, I found it and brought it to a group side, but the first one was still- But that's a very interesting point though. For everybody that's listening right now, that is probably the easiest way to get 
into a GP spot is to provide value, raise some capital, be a part of the team and get some GP, right? Yeah. Because really that has a lot of effect when you're actually getting ready, when you do find your own deal and you do, they're going to ask, well, what experience do you have? Operating experience. And at that point, it does not matter if you own 1% or 50% or 100%, you have GP experience, which is I'm an operator. Yeah. That checks the box for the lender. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. If you want to learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. That's right. And that was one of the things. And, and you know, I'm privileged and excited that some guy gave me a shot because I didn't anticipate being a capital raiser or raising capital for deals. I didn't think that was going to be part of my journey. I thought my skill set was going to be the fact that I had time and I was very interested in the hunt of finding a deal. I found that to be much more time consuming, much more difficult than I had anticipated. And so I had been talking to some of my friends and people that I knew about what I was doing in investing in real estate. And we had invested in a couple of deals as an LP because I wanted to understand what it felt like from an LP's perspective, what documentation you had to sign, all that fun stuff. And actually, just a few weeks ago, we had our first deal go full cycle that we invested in 2020. So I was able to see kind of what that looks like. Because the other thing is, I never realized you could take an old 401k from an old job, put it into a self-directed IRA, and invest that way, right? Like there's so many things. Yeah, it's lazy money that you weren't going to use anyways or can't even use. So it's like, let's put it to work, right? Yeah. So there's so many things that you learn as you start to pull back the onion on this whole like rich dad, poor dad thing. It's so fascinating. But go back to your point. The first deal that we did that we were the co-GPs on was two property portfolio in outside of Kansas City, Kansas. It was one of the guys in the group found it. The story on that deal was they had... The same co-GP had found and bought a deal the year prior, about three miles away, was crushing it way over their pro forma rents, all that fun stuff. So we bought a deal that was a little bit nicer and didn't need as much work. So we thought slam dunk, it was going to be an easy sell. And that was a story that we pitched to our investors. And I had a couple of people that were interested in getting into the real estate space and you've experienced this. But as I was thinking through my kind of shortlisted Rolodex of people that I knew that I thought, hey, they would probably be interested in real estate or investing with me. The people that I thought were like, yep, they're in, because I knew they made a lot of money and I knew they were smart and savvy and financially savvy. They weren't the people that invested. Definitely not my first one. It was my golf buddy that I kind of knew what he did. I kind of what he made. And I'm like, he's like, oh yeah, I'm really interested in real estate investing. My cousin did a syndication a few years ago on a six unit deal. And I was like, interesting. So he was one of my first investors and definitely would not have pegged him as being the first person to invest in a deal with me. But I got to ask you this question though. How did it feel to get that first piece of private money? It was great. It was also great and nerve wracking all at the same time, right? Because every deal that I've raised on except for one, I've invested alongside my investors. And I want to show them that I believe in the deal enough that I'm putting my own capital at risk. But really, that's not the metric or the barometer that they should be looking at. I am more nervous about losing or not being a steward of their money than I am about my own. Right. Make sure your other co-GPs are going to help massage and make the deal work and make it a viable real deal that performs, right? Yeah. So getting that first private money, and I would have rather come from somebody that I knew had either made a lot more money or whatever, because that would have made it all a lot easier. But yeah, it was very exciting and also nerve-wracking to say, no, dude, don't worry. Just wire that 
$75,000 to this bank account. Yeah. And he's like, cool, I did it. I'm in. And I was like, awesome. So yeah, knock on wood, that deal has been doing pretty well. It, it hasn't been as rosy as we thought. They never are, right? The ones you always think they're going to be really good. It's the sleepers that come out. You're like, whoa, where did that one come from? But over time, they all do, though. That was my other point. You put enough time in between the day you bought it and when you actually sell it, things usually go pretty well. Things will usually go pretty well. Yeah. So I do like the syndication game. It is more of a long-term flip in my mind. That's how I kind of sell it to people because it's you're not holding these things for 30 years. You're holding it for three to six, maybe three to five, something like that. So one thing that I'm also working on with a couple of partners that I've met through this whole process is finding deals that we can buy outright and that we're the only where it's more of a joint venture versus long-term cash flow play yep. versus I need to make double my money in five years. So here's my thought process on that. This is what I believe, right? So we've got a lot of syndications, but we also start to heavily invest in a lot of our deals where we're the big investor of it, right? As these projects mature, and some of our project sizes have really went from when we first started, we we're doing $8 million deals. Now we're doing like $40 million deals. And so yeah. when one of those matures and you make $15 million of profit for that I'm going to make, you're like, wait a second. Now with that $15 million, I'm just going to go buy my own deal, right? Right. And it's just going to be me and I'm going to be the investor yeah. and that's my legacy money, right? Yeah. Or I've also done it this way where I've taken that kind of money and I still put like, if I had a $10 million raise, I might take $5 million and put it in where I'm the GP. But the ultimate goal is to not really have very many other GPs in your deal and have maybe a way to exit your capital eventually. Like not right. your capital, but all the everybody yeah. else's money. And then you own a deal outright. Yeah. I think that's kind of the goal. It takes a minute. It takes a minute to do it that way, but it yeah. really is the way to really leverage your net worth. And it's the game worth playing in my opinion. Yeah. Now that I'm in the real estate game, it is one is a fun game to be in. There's a lot of cool people that you meet. You and I met at an investor or a capital raising summit a couple of weeks ago. So you never know who you're going to meet at these things. And I haven't met really anybody that's like a bad egg. I've been in sales in my career and salespeople love them or hate them. Some people are good, some people are bad, yeah. but I've really met anybody that's like not supportive or we're all competing, right? Yeah. We're all competing against the same. There's only a finite number of 100 plus unit deals on the market at any given time. Yeah. And so one thing I've realized is the recruiting part of me is like, well, one person can't just do everything. So you need to recruit a team of people. And, and I'm good at helping people find people, right? If you're trying to build a team, you tell me what you need. I can help you go find it. So that's been really interesting. And I've actually been helping couple of the folks that I know in the real estate game, they're trying to build their real estate team, their own team. So I've been actually recruiting for them, helping them find like, yeah. you know, marketing people and whatever. I really didn't think that was going to be a value add that I would have that, you know, they need to hire a marketing manager and I'm kind of helping them find that. So that's been a cool accidental positive. Well, I also say too, the difference between single family and multifamily, multifamily is really about all me, me, me. It, it gets a little bit more angst where in the multifamily space, it already is mostly perceived that it's team. It's not yeah. I, it's we. And I think it's not only that, the expectations of profits are way slower and a longer period of time. It's like, let's slow down. We're building wealth and we're paying with it but that's exactly where we're going right yeah that's why i love the multifamily space is the people that are in it are thinking we're not playing checkers and trying to just jump over something we're right. looking three or four moves and say let's play chess let's take the whole board right yeah. and i think i love that part of the multifamily side yeah there's a lot of people that i've met and 
became friends with that I would never have met if I would have gone and stayed at the two to four units. You don't need a team for two to four units. You just need more capital or creative financing to get these deals done. So that's been a really big positive, especially moving from Philadelphia to Austin. There's people that I've met here that I hang out with now and grab beers with or whatever. And we're all trying to build that wealth, whether we have kids and we're trying to build generational wealth or we've got passion projects and we're trying to fund those. Like there's just so many things you can do with real estate that I didn't realize four years ago. When you were initially reaching out to those people with your money, what did you do? What kind of communication? How did you let people know that I've got a deal and how did that kind of shape its way? Yeah. All the deals that I've done are 506B. So I couldn't advertise, right? right? I couldn't just blast on LinkedIn or buy a billboard and say, I've got this deal. So once I started to get wrap my brain around raising capital, I didn't want to do it how some people do it, where they have this massive 10,000 person list that they don't know who they are. And they just blast emails and hope 1% of those people click and wire money. And also, I was very nervous about reaching out to people because my brand up until this point has been Justin is a good recruiter. Right. He's the recruiting guy. So I had to start to shape people's perception of what I did and what I was good at and what I knew about real estate. Because if I called a couple of my friends and been like, hey, do you want to invest 50 grand in real estate? It's like, what do you know about real estate? Right. And so I had to explain to people what my journey was. I had explained to people that I've already invested in these deals. I explained to them that I invested a lot of money in the educational program that comes along with being in one of these syndication groups. And then I had to walk them through kind of my journey of underwriting and raising money that I was putting my own capital into it. But it wasn't as hard as I thought to get that first, oh, that makes sense. I think a lot of people think about real estate as an investment, whether they think about multifamily or single family, but they just don't either, hey, have the time or they don't know what to do, right? Right. And there's a lot of people that I talk to that I used to work with that I would say, yeah, I'm doing in real estate investing. Like, oh yeah, I've got a second house that I bought years ago that I rent out to friends or whatever. And so that's where a lot of people's brains stop when it comes to real estate investing. They don't think about, I can invest money into a 150 unit apartment complex across the country and I'll do anything other than collect checks. Right. (laughs) So my initial process was looking through my phone and my LinkedIn connections and saying, I'm going to reach out to these few people via email and say, Hey, here's what I'm doing. Have you ever thought about real estate before? And my whole pitch was not a sales pitch. Here's what I'm doing. Here's the opportunity. And if you have interest in learning more, let's jump on a call. Let's jump on a Zoom. Let's go have coffee. Because I never want to sell somebody on a deal. Right. I don't want people to come away being like, oh, he sold me on that. I want them to be like, he sold me on that. I want them to be like, yep, I have some money. I really know. I understand enough about real estate and what the power of real estate is. And I want to put my money in a deal that you brought me versus another opportunity that they can right. invest with. So it was more of a one-to-one versus a one-to-many. Well, but better than most is it's all about your brand. Even if you have a bad deal that doesn't go as well as you thought, as long as you're communicative and the investor knows that everything was done that possibly could have been done, here are the reasons why, and they were updated, they're more likely to reinvest with you in another deal than if you just ghost them and not don't give them really any details exactly. or anything like that. So I've tried to take a more personal approach to my investors and in being there to communicate what's going on, what's the positives and negatives, other than just what monthly email update says with a rent roll and a T12. Yeah, exactly. Nice, nice, nice. Are you ready for retirement? The majority of Americans are not. 
Failing Social Security and dated financial planning practices put strains on many retirees' finances. 46% of Americans admit they are not taking steps to prepare for the likelihood they outlive their retirement savings. Luckily, it's not too late. Diversify your portfolio. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. To learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. So when we look to the future 2023, what's your plan there? What do you see and how are you guys trying to set yourself up to win? So I think 2023 is going to be the year of the operator, frankly. I think the last few years, the market has bailed out a lot of crappy deals that people bought, maybe overpaid for, but the appreciation, the values have gone up, rents have gone up higher than they probably anticipated. And so they won, which is great. And so I think people that bought deals in the last few years, especially with variable rate debt, probably didn't underwrite that they were going to refinance or, or potentially try to refinance into a fixed debt at a six or 7% rate, right? They probably were at five, five and a half, something like that. So I think there's going to be deals that are going to come out that sellers need to sell because they can't refinance or they can't refinance at a rate that makes sense. So there's going to be some distressed sellers potentially. I'm still a buyer in this market. I think there's opportunities in all markets. I think it's just going to be slower or fewer deal flow than the last two years. But I think a lot of the people that are actually selling, I'll take that back. You probably will have two types of deals on the market. People that are fishing for an offer that are like, I'll take it if I get the right number or people that just need to sell because there's no other option. No lender will lend them any more money or whatever. Their investors are like, I need to get my money back. So I definitely think there's going to be opportunities. Some of the folks that I know, like, and trust in my group that are more acquisition heavy are also kind of in the more, let's operate our deals that we have now phase so that we can make sure that the business plans on those are moving forward so that we're able to hit our goals and hit our distributions and all of that. I think there are going to be deals. I think there's going to be fewer and you're going to have to like sift through some some junk, but I'm definitely still a buyer. I think what I'm going to be focused on because my investors are telling me this in more than one way, I'm going to be looking more at kind of primary markets versus central Arkansas or whatever, some secondary tertiary market that they don't know about we might know that it's a good market, but you still have to raise the money to fund those deals, right? And you still have to find us. And when you want to sell it, you still got to find a buyer that wants to buy in that small market, which is there's just fewer investors in that market. So well put. Yeah. So I live in Austin. I would love to find a deal in Austin. It's still very difficult to find deals here. Very competitive as Phoenix and Scottsdale are. So I'm definitely keeping my eyes open for operators in more primary markets than secondary. I've got a bunch of deals in Jacksonville, Florida. I still like that market, but Florida's a little bit unique just with all the hurricanes they've had in the last couple of months. So, and insurance rates have gone through the roof there and even in Texas as well. So yeah, it's just a matter of finding the right one. And I think that the most overused word in multifamily real estate is conservative, but trying to find a deal that you can still be conservative on and it still works and you're solely able to win it. I think those will be the ones that I'll look for. Amen with that. Well, listen, so is there any books you've been reading lately besides Rich Dad that really has kind of pushed you to like, wow, that was a really good read? I think the one book that I haven't read it recently, well, I've read it recently, but it's been in one that I read almost every year is called Vivid Vision. It's not really a real estate book necessarily, but it's more of a business mindset book. So it's all about setting goals, but setting them and writing them down as if they're happening or they've happened. So you kind of write like a three-year vision of what does your life look like in three years? And it can be across a specific goal, like multifamily real estate. My wife and I do one every year 
And we're actually going away to Texas wine country in Fredericksburg this weekend. And we're going to do our 2023 goals. And so we've kind of gone through that process and we'll talk about our real estate goals, our investing goals, my business goals. She's My wife is still a W-2. She still has a W-2 job. She's also starting a coaching practice on the side. So we'll talk about that, relationship goals, personal goals, all that stuff. So, so it helps us to really align because being an entrepreneur, I know you and your wife do a lot of work together. We do some of the stuff in real estate together. I'm more of more active in that just because she's got a, a job and all of that. But we try to make sure we're aligned so that we know what everybody's doing. We're in lockstep and we've been so over the last few years, which has helped us kind of get to where we are. And now it's just a matter of continuing to to grow and stack more assets, more cash flowing assets on top of one another. That is the goal, my friend, is to keep stacking the cash, dude. Put them all together one by one by one. And all of a sudden you look at it, you're like, wow, look at what we've achieved, what we've got. I mean, it really does make a big difference when you set it up properly as you are building it slow and steady. That really is the key. So any advice you'd love to give to any of the new listeners or maybe even somewhat seasoned investors that are out there listening to this podcast today? I think underwriting or knowing how to underwrite or knowing how to look at underwriting is a skill that a lot of people have. But if you're, I'm a capital raiser or I raise capital, if that's your like shtick, I've talked to a few people that they've never underwritten a deal or they don't really know what the underwriting note looks like. Everybody has a different underwriting tool. And so it can be a bit complicated to kind of know what your tool is like with my tool and all that fun stuff. But Having the basic underwriting skills to look at an underwriting and analysis and saying, I think this deal is risky, or I think they've been conservative enough for me to put cap- my capital and my investor's capital at risk. Yeah, That's what you're doing. You're investing that money and it is at risk of something happening. So I think just spending the time and it doesn't be the, the full year like I did. You don't have to underwrite 200 deals. You can sit down with an experienced underwriter and say, walk me through what you would do on this deal just so that I can have an understanding of how to look at the T12, how to look at a rent roll, and then plug it into a deal analysis tool. And then what does it actually do, right? Right. What does it mean? What does it do? Yeah. Yeah. You and I both know you can make any deal on an Excel doc look amazing mm-hmm. by changing the cap rate, changing the interest rate, changing whatever. And that's what I look for. And, and that's why I like the group that I'm in. And I've only raised money on the syndication group that I'm in so far. I will raise for other operators probably in 2023. And that's one thing that I'm focused on now is trying to find good operators that I trust. I'll probably invest with them and then probably raise after that investment. But that was a long-winded answer saying, I think just having some basic underwriting experience is good so that you can feel comfortable going to your investors and saying, I've done at least my level of due diligence that I feel comfortable in putting my money into this deal. And then maybe they'll follow suit as well. It does mean a lot. It goes a long way. So Justin, how do people get a hold of you? LinkedIn's the best. I mean, I, I'm always on LinkedIn from a recruiting standpoint. That's probably the best way to find me. But my real estate website is greatventurecapital.com. And then my email is just justin at greatventurecapital.com. Those are probably the best ways to find me. And if you're ever in Austin, let me know and we'll hang out. Awesome. Well, listen, I love Justin exit there talking about really doing the work in the underwriting. Listen, it's not one deal. It's not five deals. It is really a hundred deals. You've got to get that level of expertise to become a master. You can't just try a hundred different leg kicks on one spot. You've got to do one leg kick a hundred times in the same spot to get really ninja at it. That is how you become a master. And from there, you can teach others to do the same and you can tweak it and make it your own. But it really 
is doing the work. Most people, where we're going to 2023, it's going to be those who have done the work that understand the consistency that it's needed and that really the word conservative is, is overused, but understanding that you've got to be conservative in your underwriting and that you can't just hope and pray things go well right? It is the year of the operator. It is a great time to be looking to the multifamily space, guys. And for all those who have not yet, our Kahuna boardroom is still open. So kahunaboardroom.com, that's our three-day training to go through how to raise money, how to find deals, how to operate, all the little things that we do. It's a three-day intensive, super great class. Go to kahunaboardroom.com to check it out. And by the way, if you come, we'll actually give you a free couple free copies of our book. So you definitely want to show up for that as well. Justin, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Guys, this all starts with your mindset. Nothing happens that's good unless a thought occurs. Raw dirt doesn't get developed because it happens by itself. Someone had to envision that dirt and see something way better. In your mind, if you want to be successful in 2023, you got to perceive it and believe it that it's going to be much better. Guys, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is possible.